To be honest with you, I sense danger at every turn for everybody. This is a George Martin novel. The way that the King's Moose is called is that someone starts banging a kettle drum and um, I just misread that and imagined it as a steel drum. (laughs) 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 It is time for the King's Moose. (laughs) 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 Oh, Matt, they'd be doing Under the Sea, wouldn't they? Like in The Little Mermaid. Hello and welcome to episode four of Shark Live Raw's Look at A Feast for Crows by George R. R. Martin. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And this week we're reading from the chapter about Jamie, which begins Lord Tywin Lannister had entered the city. As far as a chapter called bom, 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 The Queen Maker. The Queen Hang on, hang on, hang on. You mean to say there's another chapter headed by another character we haven't met before? It's another midlog. It's another midlog. George, (laughs) fucking hell, mate. Just release them as webisodes, mate. Don't do this and call it a novel. (laughs) Yeah, so, so, yeah, look forward to that. Um, Will we? All right, okay, no, we will. (laughs) Yeah, right, okay. So it's uh, it's actually as far as the Queenmaker, isn't it? It's not up to when including the Queenmaker. Yes, that's that's true. We'll have to wait till next time to find out which queen is being made and by whom. Mm, okay, but this time, starting off with the chapter about Jamie Lannister then. So just before we get into it, and we always do this, just a little intro in case you just come into us for the first time. What we do is we, we break books down into a load of parts. So in Game of Thrones, it tends to be 10 parts and uh, we go through them bit by bit. So it's almost like a recap of, uh, of a, a section of the book in the same way you would do a podcast on the 10 episodes in a series. Uh, that's quite an easy way of explaining it. Anyway, yeah, well done. You're becoming a master of the form. Well, seventy-three well, episodes in. <laughs> I do try. Uh, okay, <laughs> you succeed, dear boy. You succeed. So, Jamie, Lord Tywin had entered the city. So, Tywin's body's leaving. This is the sort of funeral procession back to Casterly Rock, and um, it's just a chance to sort of dip in with Jamie and check out on sort of where he is in the world at the moment. Um, he's he's parting with Sir Kevin Lannister, uh, his uncle. Isn't mm. very happy. It's clear they kind of need each other, but um, but but at, at this sort of crucial moment, you think you know if, if the Lannisters are going to survive and prosper, they need to have people like Jamie and Sir Kevin working together. And it's obvious that after what's happened between Kevin and Cersei, yeah, that that relationship's breaking down, isn't it? Yeah, he's sort of. I mean, not that I was shedding too many tears for the prospective failure of the Lannister family. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not on Team Lannister. I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. But, sure. um, but I, I sort of like this image of like Sir Kevin somehow being like the last honourable Lannister <laughs> and being completely unable to sort of bring himself to deal with this his nephew who he knows has slept with his niece. Yeah, he's just so disgusted by it that he's like. Yeah, you know he's just so dismissive. It's really funny. Yeah, he's off to Darry, isn't he? Like Jamie, Jamie's like, "Oh, do you want to come and help me sort of put down the rebellion in the Riverlands?" And 
Kevin's like, fuck this shit, I'm going to Derry. I'll leave you a lot to it. <laughs> and the thing is, I kind of have that response a little bit myself to the, the endless machinations <laughs> of the Lannister family. If I was to Kevin, I'd do the same thing. I don't care how much of a badass my big brother was. I don't care how close we are to ultimate power, which at this point seems to be involved getting fucked around by every other motherfucker in the entire kingdom <laughs> as prime target. I don't care. I'm going farming. Fuck the lot of you. Yeah. I almost applauded. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you think there's an element of Sir Kevin where he thinks, I'd, you know, things were pretty good when Tywin was just being a boss over in Casterly Rock area and yeah. we were just comfortable. And ever since he got involved <laughs> in this shit... <laughs> I love that sort of instinctively conservative, very middle class heir to an enormous throne sort of thing. It was better when we were just comfortable, I think. This is too much trouble. Renew our subscription to the Daily Mail, you know. It's very Bilbo Baggins, isn't it? One chest is enough, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, one, one enormous castle and army is quite enough for me, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he obviously doesn't. I mean, Sir Kevin just doesn't trust uh, these his two sort of his nephew and his niece either, does he? Because obviously he's had this running with Cersei, and she's um, taken various things off him and taken Casterly Rock away from him and all this jazz. And just, um, can you even remember why that was? I really yeah, can't remember what her reason. Oh, you can. Oh, good. I'm glad because I just thought it was just Cersei being a wanker. No, it's because he he turned down the hand of the king. Oh, yeah. So uh, so she immediately flew off onto thinking that he was plotting against her. So she started sort of cutting him out of all of the things. Do you suppose uh, there's a category of communications you could make to Cersei where she wouldn't think you were plotting against her? uh, At this stage, no. (laughs) (laughs) Cersei, would you like like a crisp? A plot, eh? (laughs) I see your ways. (laughs) <laughs> but th- but this mistrust is is now goes both ways because there's this point where I mean Jamie is just he's trying to build bridges here really and at one point he says um, he says to his uncle you know keep your knights close to you because he's a bit worried about him and his uncle immediately bristles and and asks is that a threat and he texts it as if Jamie's saying you know <laughs> you better watch your back. <laughs> it's- it's not at all a surprise, is it, that Jamie's bad at diplomacy? But there's something quite touching in watching him do it, isn't it? It's like watching Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to do needlepoint. He's just not <laughs> built for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the <laughs> so Kevin's favourite sign-off line. He does it again this time. He just throws the um, the, the Jamie Cersei thing in, in Jamie's face this time. Yeah. And he sort of says something about the bedchamber, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that that seems to be his drop mic uh moment doesn't it all the time J- jamie's very much sort of uh taken aback put in his place so he rides down the line to, to sort of take his anger out on lancel bit sort of bullying this isn't it just runs yeah. over and <laughs> takes who's nearby that i can properly dick all over cousin lancel <laughs> yeah um and we get just a little bit more about Jamie's frustration of it being sort of losing his hand as well. Yeah. He, he's watching the night. He's watching sort of the night of flowers and uh, the other nights jousting and practicing, getting ready for this attack on Dragonstone that's coming. Yeah. Um. So that was that's quite interesting again, I suppose, it's character development. Yeah, it is. Well, this is what this whole little exchange is about, isn't it? Really, is Jamie discovering he no longer has a sword hand, and no longer, and he's totally shit at diplomacy he's kind of experiencing a crisis of identity which 
You're not supposed to do if you're a Lannister. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie goes in to meet to see Cersei. She's drunk. She seems to be drunk more often than not at the moment. Um, it's uh, it sounds like Bronn, who's been given a like a a way in to get in a castle, uh, has uh, has <laughs> named his firstborn child Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> and Cersei's furious. She's out for blood. That's hilarious. Uh. Uh, so Cersei's furious about that. There's an interesting thing here where Jamie uh, remembers uh, sort of his starting time in the Kingsguard and how he, they used to guard the Mad King mm. and how um, the Mad King used to sort of do these dreadful things to his wife in the bedroom Yeah, and um, and when Jamie was first standing guard outside he said to the like, another member of the Kingsguard one of his sort of one of the other sort of higher ranking guys you know shouldn't we sworn to protect his wife and the, the guy says yeah but not from him uh, and it just shows the sort of, yeah. I suppose, the, the, the double standards of that kind of honour. Yeah, and I think that's actually an interesting thing that's coming out again and again, isn't it? We've had, we've been dwelling quite a lot on the Kingsguard recently because we've got um, Sir Aris Oakheart down in Dawn shagging the princess. Mm. And, and, you know, we've seen Barris and Selmy and, 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 um, and all of these. And, um, and the different kind of, all the different ways in which everybody ultimately fails that particular standard because it seems to be sort of built in you know you can't be unimpeachably honorable and serve a system that churns out bastards so consistently as this one does you know yeah yeah i think that the jamie chaps is really good for because he's he's very good at reading his sister he he, he sort of he knows oh, yeah. obviously knows her very well so um he says i mean i thought this this bit was really interesting he sort of sums up the um the problem with Cersei. And he says, uh, his sister liked to think of herself as Lord Tywin with teats, but she was wrong. The father had been as relentless and implacable as a glacier, where Cersei was all wildfire, especially when thwarted. So it's sort of, she, she yeah. like, Tywin always played the long game, didn't he? And yeah. he never let his emotions, if he even had any, run away <laughs> with him. You know, he'd just sort of be tactical at every single step of the way. Incredibly ruthless, but tactical. And yeah. Cersei is just all sort of um, in the moment, anger and fury, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see it best in the, what she did last time with burning down the, the hand, the hand of the tower, tower of the hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. like where she's just like who else burns ancient buildings just because something bad happened somewhere inside them? Yeah. But Cersei, she's she not only burns it, she basically floods it with napalm in order to burn it down. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's fucking mental. Yeah, yeah. Jamie says that she's no judgment and no patience, which sums it up quite nicely. And it's quite a thing for somebody as impulsively kind of fighty as Jamie to say. Isn't <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's very It's a similar, bit like Boris it, Johnson yeah. saying, oh, I, I don't think he takes things seriously enough, to be honest with you. <laughs> Do you think that shows how much, over, over the last few books, Jamie's grown a bit, though? Because in, in mm. book one, when he's fighting Ned Stark in the streets of King's Landing because Tyrion's been kidnapped, mm. I I would say exactly the same about him that he's uh, has no sort of no patience and and no judgment. Oh. He just does it. He just does things because he yeah. can. Yeah. Um. And I think especially sort of losing his hand, it's just forced him to grow up a bit. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think 
I think that sort of kind of ability to be self-reflective is what probably makes you a good leader. Unfortunately, in Westeros, it also means you're probably likely to die because introspection is not a survival trait. Mm, so that's I'm, a, I'm a bit, I mean, Jamie's a bastard, but I'm a bit nervous for him all the same, you know? Mm. And there's this, uh, it looks like Cersei is continuing her res- cabinet reshuffle hmm. uh, where she's got... Um, Orain Waters has been selected, who's some seems to be some nomad guy who she quite likes the look of because um, he's <laughs> attractive. Uh, he's been made master of ships. This guy called Helene's been made hand, and Jamie doesn't think much of him either. Then yeah. you've got Kyburn skulking around as well, and it just all sounds like she's making pretty poor appointments here around her. Her team of advisors isn't up to much as far as Jamie's concerned. Yeah, they're definitely not they're not advisors so much as they are yes men, right? They're not really there yeah. to give her advice. They're there to say, "Oh, you're very smart, your majesty. Yes, we'll do everything you say." The only one who I think is it has more about him than that is Kyburn. And and I have to say I think that kind of insightfulness probably won't end very well for Cersei, I'm going to say. He doesn't mm. seem to have a great deal of loyalty to her, but he's sharp as attack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the chapter ends with Jamie in the the White uh, Tower where the King's King's Guard live, um, and there's this interaction with Sir Loras. I find these two the interaction between these two characters really interesting because Sir Loras in in many ways is is very similar to early Jamie, isn't he? Yeah, he's all yeah, sort yeah. of. Um, loud and brash, but you know, it's extremely skillful and arrogant because of it. Yeah. And uh, and Jamie's sort of like almost like a uh, I don't know, a bit of a father figure, an unwanted father figure to him. Where he's like, oh, <laughs> I've done all this before, Loris. You know, don't make the same mistakes I did. Loris couldn't give a toss. He's like, shut up, shut up, <laughs> old man. Um, but I mean, the, the, it's, it's illustrated in this this part where um, they're talking about the Kingsguard, and Jamie's a bit pissed off that Loris doesn't know about all of the sort of history of the Kingsguard. Yeah. Loris knows a few names, but beyond that, he's not that interested, and yeah. it really irks Jamie. I thought this was a really interesting passage because it's like, again, it's as if George was like, right, I need everybody to properly fucking hate Loris. right in the fewest possible words and he just cracks out some of the most brilliant like the most cliched kind of in the uk you'd say like arrogant posh boy speak do you know what i mean you can you can ever you can hear it in this kind of like languid drawl of entitlement and arrogance in the stuff that he says and it's just like uh, oh oh right we're tuning back into uh to (laughs) <laughs> to this guy is a complete wanker. Right, I'm on board now, George. I'm on board. <clears throat> it's funny. I didn't really dislike Loris that much, even with this. I thought. Um, I mean, there, there is the arrogance of him. You think, oh yeah, he's really arrogant. But um, I don't know because because he is so talented as well. It's quite hard to sort of <laughs> not respect him as well. It's like, it's like the kind of people who go, you know, is it arrogance if it's true though? You know. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. Is my answer to that rhetorical <laughs> question. Yes, it is still. <laughs> anyway, uh, we move on to Cersei. Uh, chapter about Cersei. Um, three wretched fools with a leather sack turn up. Uh, it doesn't start well. She immediately thinks this is probably not going to end very well. She's obviously put a hit out on Tyrion, and everyone's trying to trying to fulfil it. Oh, this um, can only end well in Westeros, can't it? Yeah. 
Somebody's so going to end up bringing her like a little Russian doll and saying, what, small person, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so there's this partially rotted head of a dwarf that ends up rolling out in front oh, of her. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's it's not Tyrion, clearly, because it's got a nose. Um, in fact, it's got... It's, got... <laughs> <laughs> it's not difficult to spot either, is it? For saying, you yeah. know, we're in Westeros. He has yeah. no nose. If your dwarf has a nose, it's probably not the dwarf they're looking for. <laughs> Yeah, but um, he's got this, the, the heads, it's this bulbous nose um, with sort of, I don't know, the, the description of it suggests that it's the head of that, do you know that cheerful little uh, sparrow dwarf who Brienne met in the, uh, in was it Duskendale? And it he sort of wanders was. Off. Oh, that's incredibly yeah. sad. Are you yeah, sure? I, I mean, that's him. quite a long way away, isn't it? Duskendale isn't that far away. It's about it's a few days away, and oh, right. Brienne's sort of it's a few. Day, the timelines pretty much add up quite well. I just thought because oh. the, the the single distinguishing feature of that guy was he had this bulbous nose, and that's exactly the description uh, to give this head. Uh, so it's like you see, this is where done. this is where me being less of a, a thorough reader than you pays off in my favour because <laughs> I didn't experience the sorrow of this guy. You yeah. know, you quite like, and then he dies. Mm. Maybe it's better if you didn't know. <laughs> Fact. Fact. Yeah. But um, oh, we find out the skull of the the mountain's dead now, apparently, and his skull's being cleaned because they're going to send it over to Dawn as proof that he's dead. So um, <laughs> there you go. Delightful, just delightful. <laughs> yeah, Kyben and Pycelle obviously don't get on, and they have a bit of a argument. It's quite funny. Um. The, it's, it's obvious that um, Cersei holds uh, Pycelle responsible for the dreadful smell that came off Tywin's body when he died. Yeah. Um, do you remember when they were in the sept? There's an interesting thing here. Okay, so um, he did stink. And at the time, we were like, yeah, well, if you're going to have a body lying there for ages, it's going to smell. But um, <laughs> they, they must be used to that. And Pycelle's obviously dressed a lot of bodies in his time I'd imagine <laughs> and he seems yeah. really sort of shocked and uh, unable to work out why it, it went down as it did that the whole sort of farce of the funeral and the smell yeah there's just a question here there's a theory that maybe um Tywin was poisoned and that's uh. why um, two things that build into it. One is the smell of him. Two is the fact that he was on the he was on the crapper when Tyrion saw it. When Tyrion killed him, <laughs> and the fact that he had some problem with his sort of bowel movements or something. Yeah. And and three, you you sort of you think that Oberyn would have the means and the motive. Seeing as he coated his spear in poison to kill the mountain. Yeah. Maybe he'd managed to get some into Ty- Tywin's drink or food at some point. There's a suggestion that maybe Tywin wasn't long for this world anyway, even before Tyrion killed him. Oh, uh, well, that's interesting. I think that's difficult to say either way, though, isn't it? Like, of all the people oh, yeah, in Westeros yeah. you'd expect to have their shit, forgive the pun, their shit together, would be um, sure. would be Tywin, right? And, you know, I mean, Oberyn was a badass, to be sure, but the only way he managed to poison the the mountain was by getting him in, in a combat arena with a poisoned mm. spear. It wasn't exactly surreptitious, was it? No, exactly. I think I think it'll never be more than just sort of a a fan theory. But I thought it was just worth mentioning. I, I enjoy these fan theories, though, Matt, because one 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 day one of them's going to turn out to be right. Do you <laughs> know which? Not. 
Do you know which one's going to turn out to be right? Paris is a mermaid. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That or King Podrick. Eh? Got all my chips yes. on that one. Podrick for the Iron Throne. Come on. <laughs> this is where it's going to be. This is where the way it's going. A song of a song of ice and fire means that so we're going to somehow try and link that to Podrick. Anyway, I'll work um, on it. I'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> Cersei's new council, these new people she's appointing, um, she's changing the names of the titles. I don't know how important this is. I think it just shows how she's trying to mould things in her own image. Mm. So instead of sort of, I think instead of the Master of Coin, it's now the Lord Treasurer. Instead yeah. of the Master of Ships, it's now the Grand Admiral. Yeah. And it's just another way she's trying to put her own stamp on everything, I suppose. Yeah, um, it's the power of... Um the power of rebranding isn't it she's she's sort of like all of this is going to be remade in my image and it, yeah. and it, i think for me it's just another side another side of her incredible kind of egocentric egocentricism egocentricity yeah. um where like literally everything has to change just because it has to change just because i'm cersei lannister bitch mm-hmm. you know yeah um and she she talks about Prince Doran because uh, they send in obviously they send in the mountain's head there to sort of placate Dawn, mm. and she describes Prince Doran as a tiresome creature, and I thought that was interesting just to sh- sh- see how um, how little she values or how much she underestimates just what Doran's doing over there trying yeah. to keep everything together and and stop these two uh, houses going to war, and she just yeah. seems to dismiss him as a bit of an irrelevance. Yeah, again, because he's not close by and actively dishonouring her. Like, I really have the mm. strong sense that Cersei really only gives a shit about people who embarrass her or mm. people she feels she's able to control. You know, she's, yeah. you know, for somebody who's so skilled at manipulation, she's actually really stupid. Yeah, there's also a, another example of that is um, this conversation about the Iron Islands. Mm. And she's this sort of say, oh, yeah, uh, Balon's dead now. And they're all sort of so. Who's going to be taken over? And they're like, mm. I think he's got he's got a son. I think he's got a couple of brothers as well. And they're sort of all looking around the table, and it's obvious that no one knows anything about the lineage yeah. there. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. See, Again, it's just really, it's really slack, isn't it? Someone should know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he's a minor house or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, it, this is fairly important, and. You know, there's no Wikipedia, what you're supposed to be. In fact, the only reason that you really should be there at all is that somebody is able to say, oh, yeah, no, this is, he's related to her, and this is the political angles, and this is the way it's going to work and stuff. But, yeah. you know, or, alternatively, not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this meeting is um, it's a really long meeting. A lot of politics goes down here. We find out a lot about the sort of the plans for the sort of the direction um, of... The rulers in King's Landing now. Mm. Uh, there's there's obviously the discussion about what's going on in the Vale. They pretty much agree to just sort of throw Littlefinger to the wolves there and say, just let it play out as it plays out. Chances you can't say he didn't have it coming. Opposed. Do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like Littlefinger clearly has not conducted himself in a way to command the respect and love of those around him. Mm. Except, the, except of course, Sansa with her poor life choices. Yes, of course. There's a speaking of poor life choices. Did you see this week's episode of Game of Thrones? No, was, I didn't. Uh, no, kill the boy. All oh, right. There's just a bit where um, I won't tell you what happens, but there's this bit where Sansa meets this girl for the first time, and the girl's like, 
go and have a look in these in these kennels full of like hungry dogs jumping at the bars. And Sandra's like, oh, okay. She goes <laughs> wandering in. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, another poor life choice. Um, Genius. But yeah, uh, that's for the series. Um, mm. So what else here? Oh, so there's loads of other things. So there's also, it turns out the High Septon has died. So there's a new one on the way, and they're trying to work out who would be best. And Cersei again's like, couldn't give a toss. Whoever ends up High Septon, and it's just interesting the difference because um, the high, the old High Septon was placed there very carefully by Tyrion, and he got someone who was loyal because um, yeah. he he saw it as an important position. Cersei yeah. just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, I was a little bit disappointed by the fact that this played out this way because I have seen this episode of the TV series where the Septon is run out of town by being caught in a brothel yeah, yeah choosing choosing which prostitute he's going to sleep with to represent one of the seven faces of his god <laughs> <laughs> that was the, 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 the maid the, it's always the maid <laughs> <laughs> the tv series just does profanity in a, in a particularly well-developed <laughs> way right and then in this it turns out he's just died and i was like oh oh I tell you what, the the people who make the TV series they 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 love a little bit of uh, pruriently shot sex, but they also have a much better <laughs> sense of humour than George. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's also uh, the, she's building a fleet. Um, she wants to build a fleet now, Cersei. So she's she's doing that. But to to have the money to pay for it, she's deferring repayments to the Holy Faith and the Iron Bank. She's basically reneging on some of the debts, or, or at least saying we're not going to pay for a while. They're going to have to live with it. So you know, we'll see that you know like. what this reminded me of, Matt. What? He's Blackadder, <laughs> the, the <laughs> yeah. bank of the, the black, black monks, monks <laughs> banking with a smile and a stab. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't help but behind it all is floating that absurd bright purple face of the fella who played the bishop of the baby eating bishop of Bath and Wells. Bend over, black. <laughs> Your bottom will wish it had never been born. I just really yeah. want somebody to crack out something like that. I want a bit of meta comedy right now. Yeah, if you if you're not familiar with that, I think. it's Blackadder, the uh, British uh, comedy series, really good historical comedy series. Uh, I think it was series. Is that series two? That's series two. Yeah, that's the Elizabethan yeah. one. Yeah, and I think it's called Money. That um, that episode. If you want yeah. to go and find it on YouTube or something, I'm sure yeah. it's around now. Yeah. Um, a couple of other things then, as well. We get while, while we're on the subject of politics in King's Landing. Oh, the other one I thought was interesting was the Red Wedding. Um, they're talking about this and how. The, the sparrows, which are this sort of increasingly militant, um, sort of faith-based, uh, ex- kind of extremists, it seems. Yeah, kind of um, sect. Somewhere between, yeah. somewhere between like Puritans and Al Qaeda, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there, obviously, um, the red wedding is a big deal for them because it was breaking those laws of guest rights and stuff. Uh. And, yeah, and, and the, so, the, so there's a there's a reckoning to be had there, and Cersei is planning to throw a few frays to them, so uh, to sort of placate them because he says you know once Walter once old Walter dies up there, mm. Walder Frey sorry, mm. um, there'll be a big succession battle there because he's got so many sons, yeah, and whichever son wins will be more than happy to execute a few of his brothers, uh, to to consolidate <laughs> his position. So we'll just sort of pin the blame on those guys 
I, um, you know what? While I see the 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 uh, political sense behind that, I have to say, so far, waiting for Walder Frey to die has not been a high value political <laughs> strategy in Westeros, yeah. has it? Yeah. Although, the, the, of all the sort of ideas they've got here, that's the one that I thought felt most tiring. Like, I'd imagine he would have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just wait like and kill one of the bastards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, the Golden Company's broken its contract I told you it was long this meeting the Golden <laughs> Company's broken its contract with Mia and I don't, I'm not sure how relevant that is um, oh it seems the North in general is falling into line now Roose Bolton's yeah. still stuck below uh, in the series Roose Bolton's already up in the North sorting yeah. things out but he's he's still stuck below Moat Kaelin at the moment because mm. um, he can't get across there, he's, his army's still there yeah. but um it seems that most of the Northern Lords are kind of, if not enthusiastic, sort of accepting that things are changing. Yeah. Um, the the, diff- the the one that seemed to be holding out was White Harbour, where the Mandalays are, mm. the famously fat guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you remember, the, if you remember, the, the when um, Bran was still in Winterfell, uh, Wyman Mandalay came came up there and he was talking about minting minting coins for um, for the... for for King Rob and yeah. building a fleet for Rob and things like that. Yeah. And we were wondering about his loyalty then, weren't we? And about yeah. whether he was just sort of manoeuvring to put himself in a stronger position. It seems that the Mandalays at least were pretty loyal or more loyal than most. Uh, we wronged um, them. We wronged them. Uh, but Or did we? Because <laughs> now <laughs> it says uh, that the most recent news from White Harbour is that Sir Davos... Um, had been sent there by Stannis to sort of say, you yeah. know, why don't you join up with Stannis? And um, Mandalay's th- thrown Davos in prison and sent a, a raven to King's Landing saying, right, what do you want me to do with him? I'm proving my loyalty. So Ooh. It's like he has jumped on the side of uh, on the side yeah. of the Lannisters. I thought that was a fairly big piece of news as well, Sir Davos being taken captive. Hmm. And because he was a point of view character last time, we haven't had any of him. And it kind of, this was a bit of a struggle for me because I, you know, I'm still struggling to kind of tune into this new batch of people he wants to tell the story through. Like I was, mm. you know, it was a big jump for me to go from one protagonist to several, and now to go from all those to a different set of protagonists to the point where one of the previous people I cared about can move halfway across the world and be captured, and I just hear about it secondhand. Mm. It was a bit of a bit of a stretch for me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously the. the the word from King's Landing, the response from King's Landing is kill him. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's hard to see how Davos is getting out of that. Yeah, well, um, I mean, and the thing is, the fact that he's not a point of view character makes it even less likely he's going to get out of it, doesn't it? You know, yeah. You know, that's, that's the that's the danger. That's the, you, you sense danger when that's happening. Yeah, it's very true. Although, to be honest with you, I sense danger at every turn for everybody. This is a George Martin novel. <laughs> yeah. Would you feel a bit let down if... This guy who has been a POV character for a while just suddenly wanders off and dies pretty much off screen. Um, yeah, I think I would. I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I definitely would. I mean, there's an argument that says, you know, stick with it. George knows what he's doing and all that. And, and he does and he's writing a story and he's no fool. But he's doing so much with so many different plot lines here that it wouldn't surprise me at all if he did kill Sir Davos at White Harbour and it also wouldn't surprise me at all if that was in service of something that's not going to become satisfying in the plot for another you know however long it is another two books or whatever so I'm a bit sort of 
I think he does know what he's doing. I just don't know whether he'll ever get around to telling the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a bit of politics with the Night's Watch. Obviously, John's actions of allowing Stannis to stay there on the mm. wall haven't gone unnoticed in King's Landing, and it's seen as an act of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the details aren't clear as to, to, to why he was there or how he ended up there. Yeah. But um, they can see that Jon Snow has let him stay there. They know that Jon Snow is a relative of Ned Stark, so they yeah. don't like that. So the plan is... I mean, originally they're thinking, right, we'll just starve the Night's Watch of men, just cut them off. Yeah. And now they're thinking, actually, we'll send a hundred men up there to take the black and remove him. Yeah, my word. Are we at the bit really? yet where where Cersei identifies the person that she's going to send up there, or is that next chapter? Uh, I think it's this chapter. Yeah, this is the bit where like she. Oh, it's oh yeah yeah it's it, it's it's the end of this chapter. Yeah 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 where she sort of takes this poor bastard to the side and says you want a little sex and he goes yeah i want some sex she's like (laughs) fine basically sell yourself into slavery uh go and overthrow this famously impartial bunch of complete badasses with nothing to lose and then come back and i'll pardon you and that just seems to me to be the stupidest decision made by a human being in the whole of this series of books and this is a series of books that includes sansa stark as a major character (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so let's talk about this plot then. So this is what happens at the end of the chapter. She gets this guy called Sir Osney Kettleblack. There are three Kettleblacks, and the names are so similar that I struggle to work out who's who. But anyway, he's and one And she's of shagging all Rosny. of them, right? It seems to be, yeah. So um, she, she's already shagged this guy once for some other service, and now he's, he's back for more. And she, what she wants to do is she wants Sir Osney to, A, seduce Marjorie... And get caught, right? <laughs> seems easy enough, um, and and that would mean he gets, uh, you know, he's going to get punished. She'll send him to the wall. Once he gets to the wall and takes the black, he's to overthrow Jon Snow. Once that's completed, he can come back down and get his pardon. I mean, yeah, that is a. I mean, and this guy, it doesn't seem like it, you'd need a, some kind of maniacal genius to pull this off and I'm not sure Sir Rosny fits the bill I I could not agree with you more there Matt I could not agree with you more heartily it's insane this is just the craziest plan I ever heard and you know because this is this is a, a story the whole story here hinges on the fact that you can set out going somewhere if you want but you're probably never going to reach that things are going to change the people you made an agreement with are going to have been killed how fucking stupid you have to be to try and pull this off. This is like the this is the flipping juggling different size, different weighted running chainsaws of making long term plans in Westeros is what Kettleblack's trying to do here. And it, I can't believe he says yes. And and it's not even like and then have sex with me and then you can do all of this stuff. It's do all of this stuff and then I'll sleep with you. And it's yeah. like I don't imagine, I wouldn't expect him to have a dick left by the time he gets back from the wall, <laughs> much as anything else. Yeah, I think this this shows that this plan is so harebrained. It shows that Cersei really is going crazy. Yeah. And the fact that he agrees to it shows that he is, he's, he's not nearly bright enough to be able to pull it off. Absolutely. He's stupid enough to say, oh, yes, I can, yeah. I'd say oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah then just, sex, just to- right? <laughs> and just to put the um, the final cherry on the cake of Cersei being crazy, just the, this matter of fact line at the end 
where um, she she has the dwarf's head that was at the start of the chapter. She has it bronzed and kept in a chamber pot. <laughs> I must confess, I laughed aloud at that. I was like, <laughs> I can't, I just, every time I think George has come up with every possible way for human beings to be bastards, he comes up with a new way. Pissing on the bronzed head of your enemy. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's how she rolls. So that's, that's how she does something. My word. Okay. All right, Dave. You've had your fun with uh, characters I, you recognise. It was fun, Matt. As well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's back to a new one. Wait. Um, the Iron Captain. Right. <laughs> Convince me. <laughs> okay. So this is Victorian, who's um, the sort of second eldest of uh, Balon's brothers. So they were back on the Iron Islands. Mm. Um, and he's arriving at Old Wick. So it's the start of this King's Moot that we've been hearing about. Um, he's He's been holding Mount Kaelin for a while. Mm. Um, and the reason he left and came to the Iron Islands is it seems he's very religious, isn't he? Not so much, obviously, not in the same league as Aaron Damper, his brother, yeah. who's a religious fanatic. But um, obviously... They sort of, they both share an enthusiasm for this drowned god, don't they? And that's yeah. why Aaron wants Victorian to sort of take the take the throne. Mm, yeah, yeah. Considers him a godly man. He has got an absolutely massive fleet of ships as well, hasn't he? The scale of it's ridiculous when it's been sort of written about here. Yeah, I, I do love that as well because George himself has said, you know, I, I get a bit carried away with scale. To be <laughs> honest with you, like he wrote, he wrote the um, the wall is seven hundred foot high. And then when he came to do the TV series, they made a scale model of a 700-foot-high wall of ice. And he was like, that is far too big. What are you doing? And they were like, that's the size that you built it as. That's <laughs> what you said. We made the book. And he was like, oh, oh, I probably meant more like 70, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's got this massive fleet. We're not sure exactly how massive in real in reality, but it's described as being enormous. Um, he sees his brother's Euron's ship as he arrives um, at Oldwick. So he's, you know, his older brother's here to make a claim as well. Mm. His ship's called the Silence, and it's crewed by like entirely by mutes. Um, it's, it's, Euron's <laughs> almost like a co- comic book um, sort of uh, crazy magic guy, isn't he? So he? He really is. You can almost hear him going, "Yes, yes, silent. Oh. All of the mute." <laughs> <laughs> The press will yeah. be unbelievable. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Victorian holds this big feast as he arrives to sort of um, to, to to drum up support for him. Mm. Uh, Ash is there, and she says that she's still planning to stand uh, herself. Um, Euron turns up and just crashes the party. He basically just comes in. Uh, <laughs> Buenas noches, bitches. Yeah, and then leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because he sends uh, Aaron, the priest guy, scurrying off at the first sight of him. Yeah, Asher does quite well. She sort of holds her own with the sort of uh, banter here yeah. and the insults. I did love that, actually, I have to say. Just the sight yeah. of her totally... She, she pones, let's be honest about this. She pones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I... Um, Aya sort of takes Victorian to one side later on and says, you know, look, I know I can't win, so um, 
why don't we rule together? In like me, she suggests that she becomes his sort of hand, effectively hand of the king. Yeah. Um, she's quite shrewd, Aya. She says, you know, we can't hold the territory we've taken in the north. We need to get. We need to come to some kind of peace terms mm. with with the northern lords, and then create some kind of alliance. And that's the best way to sort of for a future for us. And Victorian. Uh, isn't mad on that plan anyway, and the very thought of sort of having a woman as his hand, as his sort of second in command, yeah, he says it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, so uh, and you, and you, it's hard it to down. argue with his reasoning there, isn't it? Like, there's no, there's not a single ounce of human kindness anywhere on the Iron Islands. So the idea of somebody giving him the sort of benefit of the doubt, very unlikely. Mm. Yeah, a bit of extra sort of colour for Victorian's character as well. Um, and his relationship with his brother. Uh, this story about his third wife, mm. who ended up sleeping with his brother, and when he found out, he he beat her to death with his own hands, and sort of, sort of he says gave her to the crabs, basically threw her in the sea. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's I mean it's it shows just how dangerous a guy that Victorian is. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it damages you immediately. Damages your view of him, mm-hmm. um, and also shows how um, torn up he is about his brother and the sort of complicated feelings that relationship that they've got. Yeah, yeah, very much. And I like that Victorian is kind of being presented here as the guy you wouldn't mind getting the throne. And one of the first things you're told about him is that he beat his wife to death horribly. Like, yeah. how bad must Euron be in order? And by the way, by the way, Euron, how is nobody making piss jokes? Honestly, how is nobody <laughs> making jokes about this man being named after Waz? <laughs> Maybe that's what the mutes were. Maybe that every <laughs> other mutes did that. This is my ship full of mutes. They all made the obvious joke. <laughs> it's the last joke they made. <laughs> and will ever make. I'd love it if they actually all followed him around the ship when he couldn't see, just like pretending to piss everywhere. <laughs> Might have cut my yeah. tongue out, eh? <laughs> we move on to the next chapter called The Drowned Man. Ah, now, yeah. Dave, c- can you explain to me here why not only has Aaron not managed to get himself a first name introduction... But every time we do a POV from him, his name changes. Because last time it was the prophet, and yeah. now it's the drowned man. Is I mean, no, no, I really have no idea why that is. <laughs> no, haven't got know, a clue. It seems seems needlessly convoluted, like the um, the slow reveal of Mary, uh, was it Ariana in um, in the soiled night chapter. Oh yeah, where it was like, I wonder who this is. I wonder who this is. I wonder who this is. This is who it is. Casually, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, why? <laughs> because the thing is, as I said in that the last time with that, there are so many new characters in this, it's hard enough to keep up. Yeah. And it just seems needlessly convoluted to do this, yeah. to keep changing the names of people as well. Yeah, um, yeah, very but, much. Yeah, I think, I think George is just, ju- he's just pissing around. Was this, is there any chance that he wrote this one? Sure, after doing the TV series, or like, no, no, there isn't. Like, I wonder if he just signed the contract and was like, I'm getting paid millions of dollars for this. Right, <laughs> bitches, up your fucking game. We're going to turn this into a master's degree and just created all these new characters, all these new journeys, all these plot lines with no discernible connection to the stuff that's gone before. 
<laughs> well, apparently, apparently, one of the motives for him writing it, one of the things behind it, was um, to write a series that would be impossible to turn into a TV series. Really? Uh, also <laughs> into a film because it was so complex and it was almost more like a history than a, yeah. Than a story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> and yeah, you could certainly see it in this sold. book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, let's let's just move on to the drowned man then. Okay, the prophet. Um, so, he, he ran off from his brother. He's going for another midnight swim. This is his favourite activity. Um... <laughs> He, now never... you might say what you like about his religious beliefs, but he's definitely he's taking him seriously, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> I think I, you know you've had the experience of going for a swim in the sea when when the weather's just a bit too cold, which is to say in England <laughs> all the time, yeah. and and you wouldn't if that was the main item of devotion of your religion, you'd probably become a skeptic pretty quickly. <laughs> but him, he's like, no, cold Loves waves. It. That's where I pray best. Come Loves on. <laughs> We got a little history lesson of the Grey King slaying the sea dragon, ah. which, to, to cut a long story short, um, the, the this old king of the Iron Islands killed a, a sea dragon, and its bones are sort of what uh, create the sort of old wick uh, place. So there's the sort of these pillars all around uh, where they hold the king's moot, and it's supposed to be the rib cage of this old sea dragon that's died long ago. Mm. Um the the way that the king's moot is called is that someone starts banging a kettle drum, and for the for no apparent reason, um, I just misread that and imagined it as a steel drum. That's amazing. Just really, really happy sort of Caribbean sounding music. That's amazing. Everybody cracks out the calypso and gets into it. <laughs> It is time for the king's mood. <laughs> oh, Matt, they'd be doing under the sea, wouldn't they? Like in the Little Mermaid. <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> that didn't happen. But that, oh, not. you disappoint me. You disappoint me. <laughs> uh, so the king's mood begins anyway. Um, and they're all there. Basically, the captains take it in turns, or the people who want to become king take it in turns to stand up, go to the front of the sort of go to the stage, if you like, declare why they should be king, and then throw a few sort of trinkets and free gifts the way of the people to see if they'll accept them. Yeah. Uh, the first guy who stands up is called Gilbert. I mean, there's no chance straight away with a name like that. <laughs> king. I I do love it when they started doing the chant. Gilbert! Gilbert King! I mean, it sounds like your local tax officer, doesn't it? Gilbert King. It's not going to yeah. fly. Yeah. His, his plan, he's a bit crazy, this guy as well. His plan is to get everyone to sail away to the Summer Islands and live live the life of luxury there. <laughs> they go down well. Uh, a guy called Eric turns up, um, who's really fat and old. I think this is the one that... Um, Aaron thinks a few decades ago maybe he'd have had a chance but not now yeah. and it looks like he's doing quite well until Asher sort of calls out and challenges him to stand up because he's sort of brought onto the stage on a litter 
And he's obviously <laughs> turns out he's too fat to get up on his feet anymore, so he loses he loses his that, great great banter. And at that moment, you can sort of you can see how good a queen she would be just for that, just for the fact that she's sure. willing to go into a fight where all the rules say she shouldn't win. And her first interjection isn't even like po-faced posturing or killing somebody to make a point. She's just heckling, just at the back. Sure. Go on then, stand up if you can. Can you just stand up? Here you go. The next one to get up is a guy called Drum, who gives them all a history lesson and is just so boring that everyone almost falls asleep, so he doesn't get it. Um, and then Victorian decides, this is my ta- This is the time. He stands up and makes this big speech about he- how he should be the guy. Yeah. Um, and it's looking like it's going really well. Until Asha steps in and she decides to make her claim. Hmm. And she brings out these chests. Um, and everyone's obviously been giving treasures out as gifts at first. And she pours hers out and there are pebbles, pine cones and turnips. And she's basically doing it to make a point to say, look, there's no point trying to take over the rest of the north. There's nothing for us there. We know what we know best, which is the islands. Let's make make peace there. And then, you know, she basically puts her plan to the King's Moot, the same plan she puts to Victorium. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty split, to be honest. It looks like it's going to kick off between these two factions. Yeah, yeah. Um, until Euron decides, about that time. <laughs> about that time. <laughs> and uh, this, this this horn is blown. Um, this some horn that... Euron's brought back from the from wherever he's been off on his travels, um, and he promises the whole kingdom of Westeros, and says basically because I've got this horn which you just heard, which um, is a dragon horn, which means I can bind dragons to my will, and there's still dragons knocking about as well. I mean, it's quite a fucking tall tale. This I was going to say, it seems that. to go down well. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big play, isn't it? And I think he definitely benefits from the fact that a girl's just gone before him offering nothing much of that's very impressive, you know. Like, yeah. she's she's offered a lot of very, very sensible plans, but nothing nothing really kind of poetic. And mm. I've definitely been in the position in the past where you try and make a gesture and it falls flat on its ass, You know, so yeah. she, she rolls out pebbles and turnips and pine cones and she's like, yeah, see, you see, you'll get nothing if you go with that plan. Nothing. And then the first yeah. thing he does when he stands up is says, want turnips? Vote her. <laughs> One yeah. dragons vote me, you know, and it's just <laughs> such a massive turnaround in the whole kind of flow of the thing, and a really political misstep on her part. Yeah, what did you make of this dragon horn? I mean, it's it makes this ridiculous sort of fear, fearful for fear, uh, inspiring noise, and the guy who actually blows it, um, when he sort of staggers back after doing it, he's bleeding and um, there's smoke coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Looks like it's caused some like dreadful, massive internal problems for this guy. I, he doesn't say what happens to him. I assume he dies. Well, that's um, the bloke I want being king. To be honest, anybody who can blow a blast on a on a on a horn and make it sound for half an hour and keep going, even though his lips are bleeding and his esophagus has caught fire, that's the bloke <laughs> I want in charge. Not the bloke <laughs> who hires the bloke that can do the amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Euron very carefully gets just some other some other rube to do that. Yeah, he? exactly. Can you imagine? I mean, it doesn't really lend itself to sort of to oratory, does it? Imagine if you had to do that at the start of every massive kind of speech. 
just blow <laughs> for half an hour you get your finish you put down the thing <laughs> friends Romans oh, my. <laughs> give me a sec Oh, my esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> I appear to have set myself on fire internally. <laughs> but you should vote for me. <laughs> I have literally a burning desire for this job. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I tell you what, though. I tell you what. If general elections <laughs> weren't that way in the UK, I'd be a lot more <laughs> chirpy about them. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's like... There is a fire inside me that literally won't go out. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to make it very clear at this time that while I wish I was only being rhetorical, and there's a certain amount of purchase for that approach, (coughs) I think I have the black lung. (laughs) If you want a man with fire in his belly... I'm your man. <laughs> I really can't overemphasize how literally accurate that statement is right now. <laughs> anyway, oh. you won. You're on one. Oh dear. So, oh dear. Well, Mr. Mr. Piss, Mr. King Piss. We're gonna have to call him from now on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So on we go to uh, the last chapter for today, which is about Brienne. Uh, Brienne continues her mistrustful journey to the Whispers. If you remember uh, when we last left Brienne, she'd just been told by this little guy called Nimble Dick that um, Sansa's being held at this castle called the Whispers. He know, He's he's aware on good authority that this is the case. So, um, Well, no, his thing I mean, is, I saw a jester going there with a woman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Which is, I think may turn out to be a, a crucial distinction. <laughs> yeah. This whole journey, um, Brienne just doesn't trust Nimble Dick, and um, she kind of has good reason at the start because she nips off to go to the toilet, and um, he tries to steal from her, and Pod sort of catches him in in the act. Yeah. Um. So, and Brienne's learned to be mistrustful now after all the shits has been through as well. Yeah. Right. There's an interesting bit um, on one part where um, they sort of they're sleeping sleeping for the night, and she's made nimble dick sort of sleep uh, below them because they're in a, I think they're in a, a barn <coughs> yeah they're in a hayloft I love how much he milks that I really yeah. do I love that he gets into like oh trust will not keep me warm but it would be warmer <laughs> than this yeah uh, yeah and um, Brienne falls asleep and she dreams about the melee you know when she was in um, back in the day when she was up with Renly and they had that melee when all the lords were getting ready for the battle and all this. And at the end of it, she gets the rainbow cloak. And I think I missed this on the first read through, but um, the, in, in the in the dream, Sir, Sir Jamie fl- fastens the cloak onto her, onto her, um... not, not Renly. And it's just, a, it's not remarked upon. It's just the names just switch around almost as if it's a misprint. But yeah. I, I don't think it is. It's just that, he sort of replaced Renly in her sort of dr- in that dream. Now she knows how to pick him, doesn't she? Bloody oh, hell! Yeah. At some point, surely in the whole stretch of this thing, we're going to have to have a bit. Which is why do I always go for bastards? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's also this uh, nimble dick when when they're camping out in the caves near the shoreline. Um, <clears throat> nimble dick delights in sort of winding pod up about the the squishes 
that are around. It's these sort of like half men, half sort of fish people that probably don't exist, but sort of a legend. Uh, so the legend has it they come out and eat travellers um, when they're unsuspecting. <laughs> this is old Good Nan story. territory again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and you can imagine Pod like really shit and like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, He's just the type it. to go along with it as well, isn't he? Every, everybody else we found credulously believing this shit is either poorly educated or a child in this book. But Podrick Payne, you could imagine getting all the way to the Iron Throne, a eh, a eh, yeah, believing oh yeah. in squishes. <laughs> <laughs> That's his first degree. We will hunt down these squishes. <laughs> <laughs> Your Majesty, are you entirely serious? Silence! Squishes! <laughs> uh, they hike up this cliffs, cliff edge... And uh, it turns out they they realise they're being followed by some some knight or some bloke on a horse, um, and they decide just to keep going for the time being and see if he catches them up and worry about it then. Um, at the top of this cliff, there's this old castle. It's, Br- it's called the Brune Castle. I think it belongs to a guy called Brune. Mm. Um, and all the men have left to go to war, and there are just women and old men left there. Mm. So they won't open the gates to anybody and they're very suspicious and Brienne has to sort of skirt around the castle and move on. I quite like this as, again, a bit of texture for the sort of the, the surroundings and what's going on in the wider world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, we go further on. as They're going through these... The next stage is this sort of spooky wood that they're, they're plodding through. And Brienne has a bit of time just to, to think about... She's, she's expecting trouble, isn't she, at some point here? Yeah. And yeah, as are you- we, because we know for certain Sansa's not at the end of this journey, which means George has <laughs> sent her on this journey for some reason. Yeah. It turns out Brienne hasn't killed anybody yet. Um, she's just trained. I was amazed by that. Yeah. I, th- I thought this was a really weird bum note to introduce, because she pretty much hammered Jamie when she was fighting him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like she didn't, she wasn't, there was no inner monologue there going on about, oh, I wonder if I'll have the stones to kill him. Oh, killing is a dangerous thing. Oh, a single second can mean your death. You know, like it's all very well and good, but I thought attach it to another character for fuck's sake. Like this really felt, this really felt clumsily dropped in like four, four books in to me. This I was like, what? Nonsense! Like she must, poss- she must, in order to be honourably on all of these guards that she's been a part of, she must have had to visualise the idea of killing somebody. So to to come at it now, like she's a twelve year old who's just been given a sword, is hmm, hmm yeah. I I don't know. I didn't buy it. But what did you think of it? Well, I suppose yeah, the Jamie thing is interesting. I, I wonder if that was just um, she it, it kind of got sprung on her, didn't it? And she was suddenly fighting for her life. And she didn't really have time to think about it um, because she didn't really expect to have to fight him. Mm. She was just sort of chained up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for all the talk of her being a warrior and a knight and all this, I, I suppose that there could be... I, I, I could understand how, yeah, maybe she's never actually been in the situation where she's physically had to kill somebody because she's yeah. she's always been quite... She's moved in these night circles, but never really been treated that seriously. So never really been in a battle or on a front line or anything like that. She's fought in a few tournaments with blunted swords, but um, yeah. But it's it's strange that she's had this thought now. I I wonder whether it's supposed to be implied that it's been in her mind in the past, but it's just never when we've been sort of in her head. 
Yeah, I, it's a bit dubious to me. I mean, I mean, clearly yeah. that is what it's supposed to be. But I would say, like, if you're going to put this into a character like this, actually, it's a really great strand to put into Brienne's character. I think it's really smart. You know, like this idea of I've never killed anybody or anything. But you'd get so much more juice out of it if you'd used it earlier on. You know, I mean, yeah. particularly yeah. with the fact that she didn't. She was. She's been blamed for Renly's death, or at least for allowing it to happen. You know, mm. like, why wouldn't you, in one of the many, you know, times we've heard it before, you know, have her reflect on the fact that, you know, ah, oh, the, the, you know, the first time I could have, I was called upon to defend, like, a man of honour, and I was denied the opportunity to kill because it was a ghost, and now I've never killed anybody. You know, all of that. Like, you can mm. get so much juice out of that, but it just hasn't bothered. And I'm mm. I'm confused. I mean, maybe this is the fruit of the fact that have we previously only ever encountered Brienne through somebody else's eyes? Is this the first time she's a POV character? Um, yes, yeah. That she she was a POV character for the first time in this book, right? And this is um, like her third chapter or something. Yeah, before that, I think Jamie was the POV character when they were going back to King's uh, Landing. Okay, well, I mean, which makes more sense, right? Because this is the first novel that we've been in her head, but I still think that's a huge missed trick. You know, mm. like have her reflecting aloud to somebody or, you know, opening up to Jamie about it or something. Because right now it just feels quite jarring, really. Yeah, that's yeah, a, a good point. So we, we finally get to the Whispers, which is this this old castle, which um, you can hear the wind sort of rustling through the, the caves and it sounds like whispers mm. um, <laughs> of the dead. Uh, Brienne is obviously completely on guard here. She... She just does, still doesn't trust Nim, uh, Nimble Dick, does she? I mean, there's that <laughs> bit where um, she's looking over the cliff and he sort of puts his hand on her shoulder and she immediately spins round and like, thinks he's about to push her over the edge. And considering what happens later in this chapter, it's quite a sad note, that, because every, every time this guy's trying to like reach out and be part of the group, she yeah. just keeps batting him away. Yeah. And in the end, it turns out he was just sort of a honest guy uh, or semi-honest let's be honest but um yeah uh and he, he goes to his end and i think and i think at the end brienne feels quite guilty for that as well yeah, yeah. um but anyway before they enter this castle um brienne sees that there's been someone here before and she actually she draws a sword and then she remembers this dream she had earlier in the chapter where she was fighting with it oh no it was, it was a story she was talking about with a guy with a magic sword um, and he never used it, and he died because he didn't. Because he, because for honor's sake, he didn't yeah. use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she and she remembers this story and thinks, actually, I've got what's almost a magic sword sitting on my horse. Maybe I should fucking use it. <laughs> so she goes back and slow hand Oathkeeper. clap from the cheap seats at the back there. I think. <laughs> yeah. So she takes out Oathkeeper, the uh, this uh, fantastic sword, and gives her other sword to to Nimble Dick. So at this point, she has decided to trust him. It seems. Mm. Um, in they go into this castle, these castle grounds, and what do you know? It's an ambush, and as Gosh. the yeah, as these guys spring their attack, uh, Brienne recognizes them because it's uh, a few of the last remnants of the bloody mummers or the brave companions. <laughs> these guys who caught her and Jamie in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them's the lad who cut Jamie's hand off, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, which one? Which one was he? Was it Timian? Um, no, it's the one who does all the talking. 
Um, the one who's the one who opens it up. Um, not Raj, oh. obviously, because Raj has a terrifying face. But um, uh, yeah. I forget his name. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, these these guys jump jump the the other um the, the other sort of notable character here is this this fool called Shagwell. Do you remember the uh, <laughs> the dangerous, insane fool who yeah. rapes people for a laugh? Yeah. Well, he's there. Um, oh, he, it's all going to go down well then, isn't it? Yeah. He kills Nimble Dick. It's it's obvious that this is the fool that Dick's been following. Obviously, yeah. so he's followed the wrong fool. And um, Shag, uh, Shagwell kills Dick with a... Um, like a, He basically takes his knee off with this morning star and then smacks him over the head with it. God, it's a horrible way to go, isn't it? It is, yeah, my word. Like Whenever you come into contact with the Bloody Mummers, you're like, oh, this isn't going to this isn't gonna go down well. Yeah. Uh, there's an innkeeper that popped up earlier in the story. It turns out that he has been tortured and killed by this group. Um, but in the end, after this this battle, uh, Pod actually interjects and throws a stone at one point, which sort of tips the balance in Brienne's favour. Mm. And um, and she manages to kill uh, she manages to kill everyone apart from Shagwell the fool. And she waits for Shagwell to dig. Uh, Nimble Dick's grave and then waits for him to try and kill her which inevitably he does and then she gets the drop on him Yeah, yeah. and after all this Sir Hyle Hunt turns up he's the guy who's been following them do you remember the bloke from uh, over at Maidenpool when um, he sort of stepped in to stop Brian getting cut to pieces at the gate Yeah. Um, he's been following her and uh, apparently Sir Randall Tarly said to him you know stick to her just in case she comes across Sansa. So now she's got a buddy. Yeah, and, and, and you have to hates. say that this is all, this is set up for an absolute classic, you know, love-hate relationship, which which would make it, which would make it Brienne's third <laughs> ill-advised crush. <laughs> and I'm calling it now. I'm expecting them to get it, to get it together. And then sure. he's going to try and claim on that bet he made all the way back when. <laughs> Yeah, Heil Hunt does strike me a little bit like Diet Jamie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, I absolutely do, and you, you, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, just one calorie, <laughs> not Jamie enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that is um, that is as far as we've gone this time. I thought I thought that was quite a. Um, Quite a good chunk, actually. I, I agree. Quite engaged yeah. through most of that. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I and mean, that's quite a trick, really, isn't it? In fact, for saying that we had this massive chunk of like political manoeuvring, and and for all the fact that I am quite interested in that stuff, it's still quite dry unless you're sitting there with like the you know the traveller's companion to Westeros or a wiki of ice and fire, which I'm still not going to read. Um, <laughs> next to you, it's a little bit difficult to follow it all, but they managed to make it really punchy and really engaging, and all the way through it was great. I also notice, with interest, that there hasn't been an Arya chapter in this bit of the book, and that might be why I'm quite happy about it. Yeah, do you think the eye is just really slowing down then? Oh, Arya has been boring to me for like two novels. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. As like I say, Arya start goes for a walk ceased to be interesting to me a long time ago. So every time we come across her, I'm struggling to sort of get my head back around it. But fair point. Well, let me tell you this. I'll give you a little preview. There is an Arya chapter coming up in the next <laughs> of course, section. Of course, there fucking is. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um. So we'll hi- hear more from Arya and the House of Black and White. As well as the what the Queen Maker's all about. Black and white, sorry. <laughs> uh, 
as well as what the Queen Maker is all about. In the next section, yeah. if you're reading along with us, read from the Queen Maker, which is roughly by my reckoning about page 370. As far as the chapter about Sam, which begins, Sam stood before the window. Sounds like a corker. <laughs> and it's roughly page sort of 467. Yeah. I bet he's standing there naked or something. It'd be just some, yeah. like, some horrifying image. Standing there magnificently before the window. <laughs> I, I urge you not to make me think about that image any more than I already have. <laughs> Come back to bed, murmured Gilly. From the <laughs> <background>. <laughs> the, you know, the worst thing is, the word, there, are, there are worse characters you could have put in bed saying that line. In, <laughs> I'd like to thank you for your relative restraint. <laughs> I, I thought about going down the master aim and room. Oh, <laughs> nobody needs that. Oh, oh, damn you! My eyes! You'd love a great pounding sound. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Something wrong with your brain. On that bombshell. Uh, we will right. see it. We'll we will be back next week with the next part. Later. We'll find out. You bastard. <laughs> see you later.